Welcome to the Sunset Community Church podcast. You're listening to sermon audio from our Sunday morning services. For more information about Sunset Community Church, visit us online at sunsetcommunity.church. One of the things uh, I think I probably inherited from my mom was her uh, Midwestern sense of humor. My mom's born in Michigan, and I have this memory of her. We were driving back from church one Sunday, and she said, to, uh, very matter-of-factly, but in her wry sense of humor, I don't remember what the pastor said, but I sure was blessed. <laughs> uh, and uh, this morning, I, it's my hope that uh, you will be blessed, not by what I say, uh, but what, by what God's Word says. And uh, we're going to jump uh, right into it this morning. Uh, We're looking at uh, the Gospel of Mark. We've been in this series for some time, uh, and we're really just trying to understand who Jesus is, Uh, not based on what culture says or what uh, even your mama said, uh, but what he said, what he did, uh, what was recorded about his life. And so we're in today, Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 2, and our passage this morning, if I was to put a title to it, would be Listen to Him. Listen to Him. And you'll see where we get that from in just a moment. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to page 866 uh, in the Pew Bibles in front of you or your own Bibles. You can tap and scroll however you get there. Mark chapter 9. We're going to read this together, starting in verse 2. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. (laughs) Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah. And I love this part. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. (laughs) Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. So uh, if this is your first time with us, we've been walking through the Gospel of Mark, which is one of four accounts of Jesus' life written in the Bible. And uh, all you can say at this moment from this story that we just read is, wow, life with Jesus is unexpected. I mean, prior to this moment, those that had been with Jesus, Peter, James, and John, and others, had experienced already Jesus do miraculous things. He has healed people. He has dealt with demonic possession. He has multiplied food. He has walked on water. They've kind of seen it all. But what's crazy is right before this story, Jesus begins to tell them what his real mission is, and that is that he is going to suffer and to die. That he's going to eventually take on, as a perfect, sinless man, the sins of all humanity, and he's going to break their power at the cross. So he had, he had just recently told that to Peter, and Peter said to him, no, you're not. What are you talking about? 
Like all the powerful things we've just seen you do are indicators that you're going to be the Messiah that we've been waiting for. This Messiah that is going to undo just injustice in our world. That's going to overthrow oppression. And the way that that is done is through power. Not, not dying. By assembling an army. By overthrowing injustice. By implementing this new kingdom forcefully. That's what Peter thought. And Jesus said to him, get behind me, Satan. You don't know the plans of God. You're only thinking in human terms. So this is the interaction they'd had. And then a few days later, Jesus goes, hey, I want to show you something. I'm going to show you something. This supernatural event it's a supernatural event that, honestly, I'm going to be, uh, if you've grown up in the church, we've probably read before and go, well, that's kind of weird, and we move on. But this event is loaded with truth about who Jesus is in his identity. And it's a truth that all of us need to be reminded of today because we're all just a little bit like Peter. We all think God needs to function how we think he needs to function. So this morning, whether you stumbled in half-heartedly, um, whether your mom dragged you because it was Mother's Day, or whether you got up early to pr pray and prepare your heart, I believe that God has something for you this morning from the word that we just read. And so I'm going to pray to that end. Would you agree with me in prayer? Father, this morning, we don't need to know um, what the world says about you. We don't know, need to know uh, what culture has, has tried to, to make you out to be. We need to know the truth about you. We need to know the truth about what has been shown about your very heart, God, through your son, Jesus. And so, Father, this morning, I pray that you would uh, strip away all of our hurts and, and anxieties, that you would uh, push through to our heart, Father, the truth about who you are. Would you make yourself known just like you did to your disciples 2,000 years ago? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So one of the prominent issues with humanity isn't necessarily that we don't believe there is a creator God, but that we too often remake God in our image. Uh, Romans 1.20 says this. It says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, that is his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. So again, the problem isn't so much that Humanity doesn't believe in God. It's that we remake God into our own image. I mean, some, some Christians get really upset uh, or, or really antagonistic about the idea of atheism, right? But atheism is such a minuscule fraction of the world's population. I mean, it's, it's so small compared to all of the world that believes in God, the real issue isn't that people don't believe in God. It's that we have made God into our own image. We have remade him to, to, to be something that he is not. We imagine him to look and act how we think he should be. And so as a result, the God that billions of people worship may be chaotic, 
He may be moody. He may be distant or angry or complacent. We put those things onto God. And we see these demonstrated in all these cultures. Again, most of the world believes in some sort of God. As Romans said that we just read, people look at the created world and they go, this didn't just happen. There had to have been a creator. We feel it in in the depths of our soul. We're more than just an accident. And so culture reflects this God, but what they do is they reflect him so oftentimes wrongly. In the Hindu culture, you'll find thousands of gods, each with different personalities. Oh, this God, if, if, if you need this, you'll, you'll worship this God. If you need that, you'll worship this. Don't get on this God's bad side. Oh, man, then you'll be in trouble. So many different gods that even the most devout Hindu believer doesn't know them all. In Islam, God is to be feared and to be fought for. The roots of Islam are about conquest and war, about accomplishing a kingdom through violent means. And so we see that reflected, that God is a God to be feared, to be worshipped through fear, to be revered to the point where you cannot approach him relationally. He's always at arm's length. Now, America, we're not going to let America off the hook either. (laughs) The God of America cares most about my wealth and my prosperity and my comfort. The God of America says, I'm to pull myself up by my bootstraps and to make a life for myself. The God of America is very individualistic. So we all do this. We remake God in our own image, no matter the culture, no matter the time and the place. So then here is Jesus. He is God in the flesh. He's the only true image of God. And this Jesus can't be controlled. He cannot be distorted or politicized or silenced. This is who God is, the perfect image of God, God in the flesh. The image, though, the the issue, though, isn't just in our collective cultures, but sometimes we make God in our own image based on our own personal experience. So when the Bible says that God is a father, many of us, out of our woundedness, we transpose our earthly relationship with our Father on our Heavenly Father. And so God, to us, is distant. He's absent. His love is conditional. He only loves us if we do the right things. So even as individuals, regardless of culture, we do this to God. But again, here is Jesus, God in the flesh, demonstrating the way that we're to be led to repentance and to new life. And the way that Jesus demonstrates this time and time and time again is by his kindness. His kindness. The Bible says his kindness leads to repentance. Repentance is that new way of thinking about God. And it's out of that repentance. Yeah, we may apologize. We may say we're sorry. But repentance, first and foremost, is a right understanding of who God is. And then based on that, we go, whoa, I had it all wrong. Oh, God, I'm sorry. I'm going to follow you. I have a change of mind about who you are. That's the type of repentance that Jesus leads us to. And he does that by his kindness. So Jesus came to demonstrate the true heart of God. And the way that he does that is by taking on the full weight 
of our sin, the sin of humanity, with all its distorted views and evil ways. And he broke its power so that the true image of God that was meant to be known by you and me can be known. Not only that, but when we repent, when we begin to follow the true God, we then also reflect his image. We become representatives of God. So we are restored and we can now fully know God. So now, when Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up on the mountains, they have already tried to bend Jesus to their image. As I mentioned, Peter, when he heard that Jesus was going to suffer and die, said, oh no, not on my watch. He had an idea of what the kingdom of God should look like. So then Jesus, out of his kindness, he doesn't disregard Peter. He doesn't say, oh my gosh, how many times are you going to get this thing wrong? He says, all right, I got something to show you. And Jesus shows them something of his divinity in a way that they've never experienced. Literally, what happens as he goes up into the mountain is there is a transformation of his appearance. It says that his clothes are so white, like the, the, the whitest, the, the most bleached clothes you could ever see, that they radiate out this, this awesomeness. He's almost hard to look at. If this sounds familiar, it's because God has shown himself this way before. Back in the Exodus with Moses, when Moses said, God, I want to see you. I want to see your glory. It's always been hidden. It's always been veiled. You've appeared as a cloud and as a pillar of fire in a burning bush, but I want to see your glory. And God says, I am too awesome for you in your sinful state to see me. You'll die. Because my glory and your sin can't exist in the same spot. But I will let you see a part of my glory. And if you remember the story, God, God shows his glory to Moses in a way that he can see it. And it so affects Moses that when he comes down from the mountain, his face is glowing. He actually has to put a veil over his face so that people can, can, can look at him. And so this connection is so important because it is Jesus' divinity that is being revealed for Peter, James, and John. If there's ever any doubt uh, from other religions that, that, that say Jesus is okay, he was a prophet, or he's a good man, or whatever, if there's any, ever any doubt about the divinity of Jesus, Peter, James, and John, that doubt is laid to rest for them. When they see Jesus, the same glory that was displayed to Moses is now just being displayed to them. In a sense, it's like Jesus taking off his earthly clothes for just a moment so that he could be fully revealed to them. And the difference is where Moses came down and reflected the glory of God to the people, Jesus is the glory of God. So this is what Peter, James, and John get to see of all the disciples. And while they're watching, while they're, while they're taking this in, there's two other people that appear, Elijah and Moses. And the Old Testament makes it seem that Elijah and Moses never actually died, that they just whoo, were taken away back into the presence of God. And so here they are with Jesus, and they're having some sort of discussion. Luke's gospel gives a little bit of a, uh, an explanation of the discussion they're having, that they're talking about what Jesus' mission is, about how he will take on sin and he will die on the cross. Mark doesn't get into that detail, just focuses on the 
the three of them hanging out there. Peter has no idea what to do. Uh, he's, a, he's kind of at a loss for words, and, but Peter's a doer, so he has to figure uh, out something to do. And so he goes, hey, this is really cool. What if we just create some space for all three of you to, to live here? We'll just, we'll just observe. Like, we'll just hang out. This is it. Like, we don't have to go any further. One of the significant things about this moment, too, symbolically, is that Moses, his appearance symbolizes the law. And Elijah's appearance symbolizes the prophets. All of the law and all of the prophets, all of their writings and their doings had pointed to Jesus coming. And so with this event that was recorded, it symbolizes the fulfillment of the law and the prophets in Jesus. Powerful moment. So then a cloud appears similar to the Exodus, and it covers them, and a voice comes from the cloud that says, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. If you remember, if you've been with us in Mark, do you remember the last time some words like this were spoken about Jesus? They were in Mark 1, verse 11, where when Jesus was baptized, God again spoke and says, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. So after this moment, Jesus leads them back down to the valley. And what does Jesus reaffirm to Peter, James, and John? He reaffirms the very thing that they've been wrestling with. It says, as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So he reaffirms what Peter had just spoken against some days before. And here's the crazy thing. In this whole story, it seems pretty clear that the sup this supernatural revelation for Peter, James, and John was just for them. Now, it's for us too, right? It was recorded and preserved. But in that moment, of all the people in the world, of all the disciples, they were the ones that got to see it. And who did God address when he said, this is my son whom I love? He was addressing Peter James and John, listen to him. In all their doubts about what he had said, about suffering and dying, what it meant to follow him, Jesus takes just these three and he shows them something that no one else would see. They had gotten really familiar up to this point with Jesus' humanity, but they needed to see his deity. I think that's true for a lot of us as well. I remember about 20 years ago, there was these like shirts and bobbleheads and things of Jesus that were coming out. And they were all saying, Jesus was my homeboy. As if he was like just somebody we kick it with in the neighborhood, right? We, we get really familiar with Jesus as a friend, with Jesus as a person. But sometimes we forget Jesus is God. And this is so important because when we lose the vertical awe of who God is, we then will look horizontally for something to take that place. And so instead of worship of an awesome God, when we look horizontally, what we often find is addiction. We find something to put in our place that will give us a feeling of awe, but it's really just a trap whether it's a relationship or substances or work, whatever it would be, 
It's a fake awe. It's an awe that we're supposed to have with God, but when we don't have it, we look elsewhere. But let me tell you, God is compassionate and kind. Because right after all of this, the Bible says, they kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. In other words, they still don't get it. They're still not, they're still not sure what Jesus has been talking about. Now, they don't actually ask him this question, like, okay, Jesus, you, you just said this thing again. What does that mean? Instead, they come to him and they said, why do the teachers of law say that Elijah must come first? They're, they're remembering uh, a passage from one of the Old Testament prophets. And Jesus replies to them, to be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they have done to him everything they wished, just as it was written about him. So the disciples are referring to a prophecy from Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, where the prophet mentions ahead of God's judgment on the earth, his judgment towards sin and humanity. There will come, Elijah will come to prepare the way. And Jesus confirms this prophecy. It was referring to a type of Elijah, John the Baptist. We've already seen John, how he prepared the way for Jesus, and he lost his life for it. I can't wonder why they don't ask, they didn't ask Jesus what they were really wondering about, the rising from the dead. We do that sometimes, don't we? Even with, with God, we're not always straightforward with him. My kids do this to me often. It, kids, kids are really good at not asking directly. They'll say, hey, do we have any plans tonight? because they've got an idea of something they want to do. Or, or my kids will come to me. We have one, just one TV in our house, which is crazy in our current day, but we just have one. And they'll come to me, especially in the fall, and they'll be like, so are you going to be watching a football game this afternoon? <laughs> because, you know, we'd like to play video games. But they're not going to ask that question, right? right. right. They'll beat around the bush. And to, to be sure, these guys were processing what they had just seen. Peter literally didn't know what to say in the moment, so he just said something. And now after the divinity of Jesus breaking through, they're still not sure what's to come. And all of this actually connects with something Jesus had said days earlier. We started in verse 2, but verse 1 says this. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. Sometimes people read this verse and they think, oh, that meant that all the followers of Jesus were going to see Jesus return, but that's not what this meant. This was foreshadowing what Jesus just did. These three men got to see the, the demonstration of the power of Jesus in that moment. They got to see the power of Jesus in a type of preview before he demonstrates his power over sin and death. They got to see a glimpse of the awesome glory that one day all of us will see as well when Jesus fulfills his second promise that he's going to return. When you take a moment with me and think, think of the influences in your life. Think of the ones that are past and present Think of the ones that are both cultural and internal. Think of the ones that you are aware of and the ones that you're blind to. Maybe you're remembering things that were spoken over you when you were young. 
oh, you'll never amount to anything. I can't believe you're this type of person. Look at you. You'll always be that way. Or maybe you're reflecting on the things that you wish you had when you were growing up. You were born without a father in the picture or a mother in the picture. You didn't have the financial means to play sports like you wish you would have been able to play or to have the type of stuff that you wish you had. Or maybe your mind, as you try and process all the influences on your life over the years, is just a jumble. You don't know what to say. You're like Peter. No matter where you are, as you process those influences, I think you can relate. We all can relate to these three guys that got to see the glory of God. Peter didn't know how to respond to what he was seeing. They all didn't know what he meant. And after these heroes of the past, Moses and Elijah, appeared and disappeared, it left them all just wondering about what was really happening. But after the cloud departed, two things stand out for us. The first thing is, there was only Jesus there. Only Jesus. And the second thing was, The words from heaven saying, listen to him. Listen up. In all the confusion and doubt and wonderings, in all the things you don't have or wish you did, Jesus is enough. He's all you need. Listen to him. No matter what was spoken over you as a child, no matter what you didn't have or wish you did have, no matter how jumbled your mind is today, Jesus is enough. Listen to him. The same Peter who didn't know what to say in that moment on the mountain would later write this. His, Jesus, divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. This is good news. It's it's not a Sunday school answer or a a Christian cop-out. When you have Jesus, your past doesn't define you. Your present circumstances don't have control over you. And your future is built on his promises. Jesus is enough. Listen to him. None of us walked in here this morning with a a pure and perfect understanding of Jesus. We all have baggage that we bring into our relationship with God. And you know what? Jesus knows that. He knows exactly where you're at. He knows the questions that you have, the doubts that you're wrestling with. And just like with his disciples who wrestled with the same thing, he doesn't say, I'm done with you. He says, instead, let me show you something. Let me show you something. This morning, each of us needs probably to see something uniquely from Jesus. And he knows exactly what that is. He knew that Peter, James, and John needed to be blown away by getting a glimpse of his divine nature. He knows exactly what you need as well. And so what does God say? He says, listen to him. Listen to Jesus. I actually pray constantly for members of our church, you, by name. 
And one of the things I pray is that you would have an experience with God that is a no doubt about it experience. That you'd have some moment in your life where you would say, hey, all of my doubts, they may not disappear overnight. All of my pain in the past, it may not be erased like that, but I have no doubt that Jesus is who he says he is. Some of you have had those experiences in your life. Maybe it was a miraculous healing. Maybe it was a dream. Maybe it was a vision. Some of you haven't yet. I pray that for you. I pray that you would have a no doubt about it experience. But whether God answers that prayer or not, the words of God echo down from that mountain to us today. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. And the amazing thing is that when we do, when we listen and respond to the message of Jesus, then we also get something out of that. When we respond and we say, yes, you are who you say you are, we get to be called sons and daughters of God. Not based on anything we did other than listening to Jesus and responding to him. And then we, because of that, we don't have to wonder what God is like anymore. Because through Jesus, we know. We know his father's heart. That he's not a distant, absent father like our father was. That he is a close, near, and loving father. We know his forgiveness, that it is not conditional based on what we do. Because he gives it to us fully despite what we do. We know love. We know who we are. This is what we listen to when we listen to the voice of Jesus. Are you listening? Are you listening? Have you heard? Have you responded? If so, I pray that the awe of God will lead you to a life of worship, a life of knowing and being known by him. That's what we want. We want to listen to Jesus. So let's end with prayer, and we're going to respond in song to this as well. Father, we, this morning, we need to know you better than we know ourselves, because it is in you that we find ourselves. We find who you meant for us to be. All of creation points to your reality, to your glory, but we often have believed lies that keep us from understanding it, from receiving it, from believing it. Whether it's fear, cultural issues, our own influences, our own past, you can break through all of that. And so this morning, Father, I ask for those that, that don't know you, that today might be the day, that they may have heard something about you this morning, something from you, not from me, that would change their lives. Oh God, would you restore in us a sense of awe in who you are? A vertical awe that we don't have to look anywhere else. And Lord, in that vertical awe that you free us from our addictions, you free us from our pain, and you call us son and daughter and loved, that the same love that you displayed to Jesus, you give to us. May we receive it as a church, Father. If you're here this morning and you've not received the love of God, 
that you even maybe identified this morning some of these cultural influences or some of these, these man-made religious influences that have caused you to see God wrongly. But today he has shown you something of who he is and you're ready to say yes to him. That, that word repentance, you've had a change of mind. Today's the day. <laughs> I believe if that's you, then we want to pray with you as well. I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to do that right now. Father, I ask in this room or online, you'd speak to the hearts of those today that are ready to say yes to you. They're ready to throw off the wrong ideas of who you are, and they're ready to say yes to Jesus. And if that's you today, all you have to do is just say yes. You don't have to pray an elaborate prayer. Just say yes. I will listen to you, Jesus. And if you've made that decision, we'd love to pray with you. We'd love to walk with you in that. What does it mean now? So please let myself or any of our other leaders know. Father, we thank you for your love that's displayed both on the cross and in your glory. May we be led by it in all things. In Jesus' name we pray. You've been listening to sermon audio from Sunset Community Church. Sunset Community Church is located in Renton, Washington. For more information, visit our website at sunsetcommunity.church.